Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well That's done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could have edited that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I said all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V, and today I'm at Words on the Waves Writers' Festival, so you might be able to hear the beautiful ocean behind us and the wind. And today I'm doing something a little bit different here, and I'm speaking to Tim Silverwood. Tim Silverwood is an award-winning environmentalist committed to reducing human impacts on the natural world. A keen surfer team became alarmed at the risks plastic pollution posed to our oceans and wildlife and co-founded the not-for-profit organisation Take Three for the Sea. Welcome, Tim, and thank you for sitting with me today. Thanks, Danny. Great to be here. Now, can you tell me about your organisation or your previous organisation, Take Three for the Sea, and what that involved? Yeah, it's pretty special being here today at Ocean Beach because... It was this community around the central coast of New South Wales that really were our first champions of Take Three for the Sea. So it was born back in 2009. Myself and two other wonderful women started the organisation just thinking, you know, plastic is becoming this huge problem. It's devastating wildlife. It's polluting beaches and waterways the world over. What would it look like if we could actually get people to do something simple Mm. in light of that? So we encouraged people to take three bits of plastic when they left a beach or a park or anywhere really. And it worked. Um, the wow. movements now, you look on Instagram, there's over 125,000 followers. There's just people on every single continent in every country of the world responding to this call to action and doing it with a smile on their face. Mm. So very inspirational um, organisation and experience for me. But um, after 10 years building and leading it, it was time to move on. So in 2020, I started a new organisation called Ocean Impact Org. 
and we're a startup accelerator helping businesses who are helping the ocean. So trying to see how we can scale new innovations and new technologies to radically improve the way we treat the ocean. Great, because that's the next big thing, isn't it? I mean, getting everyone on board to pick up three pieces of plastic, that's great, but I think you need to then go to the big business who are probably, correct me if I'm wrong, creating a lot or possibly create a lot of impact that may not be positive to the ocean. That's it. I'm really super passionate about how business can be a force for good for people and the planet. And that's definitely been a, a big trajectory at the moment with consumers particularly you know privileged consumers in developed nations are sort of looking at their dollars and saying well I don't want my dollars to be invested in causing harm I want to be investing in doing good so we're really enjoying our ride of getting out there and finding those entrepreneurs and innovators who are regenerating the way we treat the ocean and the planet. And so what are these businesses doing or how are they changing the way they operate to make a positive impact? So we focus on startups, so they could either be developing a brand new technology or looking at an existing industry and making modifications to do it better, but the ultimate goal is that if they scale, then they'll either make the bad guys out of business or the bad guys will buy them and make their practices better. So okay. it's um, it's really interesting. Like We had um, 192 businesses apply to our programs last year and some of the ones that were the top finalists and winners new types of packaging so the winner was planet protector packaging and they are trying to rid the world of polystyrene and they do that by using a wool waste product it's insulative properties we had another company that was uh, making renewable energy from ocean waves we had others that were making artificial reefs to increase biodiversity we had ones that were farming climate resilient corals we had ones that were looking at all sorts of incredible um, technology so yeah just check it out online there's lots yeah, of information about us amazing and I think it's about being creative because as you're saying it can be done we just need to think a bit more creatively and not maybe fall on all the things that we've done in the past that's right yeah and ultimately the end goal is to try and shift as much capital as possible into these businesses and technologies that are doing good because when that happens then we do start to just tip that balance of power that status quo and we can have a remarkable future for our species on this humble blue planet if we um you know grab good business by the proverbials yeah still a bit of work to do i think when i'm buying my groceries and there's a fair bit of plastic going on so there's a bit of work to do there isn't there still there is huge amount of work to do um you know the big conversation today here at words on the waves has been about climate and the incredible power of the fossil fuel industries and the petrochemical companies so of course plastic is made from fossil fuels it's made from oil and gas so we are up against it not just in shifting our energy needs across to renewables but also replacing all those petrochemical packaging solutions with renewables and ideally 100% post-consumer recycled circular economy or if not making them fully compostable so that they can go back into nature and not pollute our planet. How far are we from this dream? Oh, look, it depends on which day of the week it is and which side of the bed I've got out of. Um, The conversation today was, you know, Daisy Jeffrey, um, her book is On Hope. And so there was certainly a a hope with the panel that there'd be a little bit more optimism and... um, but it's getting increasingly difficult, particularly when you have someone like Daisy on stage who, at 18 years of age, knows so much about the state of the planet, the state of the climate, and is networked with people all around the world who are following the science and following the politics. It can be pretty hard to sort of remain optimistic because it's so evident that her future is going to be deeply, deeply impacted by the changing climate. So. 
you know, Natalie Isaacs, on the other hand, um, you know, successful founder of One Million Women and has amassed an incredible following of females to join her in her climate crusade. And it's inspiring. It really is. Creating change is inspiring, but um, you can't get complacent. You've just got to constantly look at the end goal and move there as quickly as possible. Yeah. No, I like that idea of complacency because I think sometimes there is that idea of, oh, you know, we're okay or it's being done or it's not my job, but it's everyone's job. So how can the everyday person do a bit better that will actually make a difference? Because I know we use our recycling bins and all that kind of stuff, but that's pretty standard. What can we do that will sort of make a difference, everyday people? Yeah, I think the panel today was really, it, it, it created that bridge because mm. Natalie's book, Every Woman's Guide to Saving the Planet, is full of you know, her story, but also a range of tips and tricks and reasons for how you can create your own personal change and yeah. how you can influence your family and friends and your community. On the other hand, you've got Daisy, who's just like, well, that's all great. Like, certainly live your values, live your beliefs but you need to get out in the streets and vote. You need to protest. You need to change the system because at the moment, you know, we've been doing the let's all hold hands and create behaviour change (laughs) and we haven't acted to address the climate crisis. So it takes both. Um, For me, I think on the eve of an election in Australia and that recognition of how poorly we've been served in, in, in... in doing our part globally, it, it has to get political. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think the people who aren't really believing the science of climate change, do you think that's driven by fossil fuels and economic decisions, etc.? Um, I think it's a lot of cultural as well. You know, it's um, it, it's it's so difficult. And you know, Australia is a nation that has been built on the back of digging up our resources and selling them to the highest bidder and it's going to take a huge amount of time and effort to unpack that and re you know re-establish it so i i am very sympathetic to the people for example that are um obviously employed in in those industries because as daisy really emphasizes it needs to be a just transition it means it needs to be that no one is left short at the end of this journey but the problem is there's been 30 years where those plans should have been developed for the just transition and we're running out of time so at some point that just transition is going to be impacted by the simple necessity of time yeah absolutely it does seem like a long time because there was the idea of moving those people into renewable energy right and it hasn't really come about yeah exactly and we shouldn't lose there was some commentary that uh in the room after the panel today where people were saying that um you know you do need to realize that humans are remarkably adaptive and the covid pandemic is an example of that right but at the core of the covid pandemic is what i said to this person today is that they listened to the scientists (laughs) <laughs> they got the scientists in the room. They said, give me everything you've got. We will do what you say because we are really up against it now. Mm. The climate scientists have been doing that for decades mm. and they have been ignoring the science. So at some point, will our leaders listen to the science and act with the same sense of urgency? When that happens, it's going to be a game changer. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting because... I think in your everyday life, you probably can't see climate change. You know, where you can see all those COVID stats and figures going up, you know, people who have died or in hospital or whatever, but I think it's harder to see, I guess. Yeah, unless the fires are countries on fire. Which um, happened <laughs> not that long ago. Yeah, and at that time, there was a lot more interest in these mm. issues. So, yeah, that is the ultimate fault of our being as humans mm. is that we simply Forget. cannot, we can't 
respond to the idea of a looming problem. Yes. We respond to a problem on our doorstep. Yeah. And I don't true. know what on earth we do about that. Yeah, it's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? I wonder where that came from. <laughs> There's got to be some uh, biological reason. Yeah, I think so. The, the present danger of the cave people or something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, what I found interesting about you, Tim, is that you sailed 5,000 kilometres across the North Pacific Ocean to study the infamous Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Can you tell us about this adventure that you went on and what, what, you, wanted to, what you wanted from it to tell people or to learn from it? Yeah, that was right at the early days of establishing Take Three for the Sea and positioning myself as a spokesperson on this looming crisis of plastic in the ocean. So it was back in 2011. Um, it was joining a, an existing expedition. So I was with 13 other activists and scientists and it was remarkable. Um, you know, I'm not a seasoned sailor, but I <laughs> love sailing and getting out there and not seeing land for three weeks wow. was just astonishing and swimming in the middle of the ocean with marine life around you and just the most incredible feeling of knowing that you're, you know, swimming above, you know, something like 7,000 metres of water or something wow. <laughs> below you. It was a really amazing experience. That's incredible. What did you learn about either yourself or about, you know, the ocean or what you were doing? I think it really helped to put into context the size of the ocean. You know, I'm, I'm a surfer and I've spent my life living around the coast. And, you know, you get it. Everyone talks about how big the ocean is and you look over to the horizon and you're like, oh, my gosh. But, you know, it's not until you try and cross an ocean that you just go, holy smoke, it is big. So a big um, provocative terminology I use on my podcast, the Ocean Impact Podcast, is that we live on planet ocean. And what does it look like if we challenge this concept of we live on planet Earth, that we live on planet ocean, would we start to look at the impact we're having on the planet and feel, realize our fragility? When you see the ocean change, then we've really changed the planet and it is changing in a big way. And the garbage patch, tell me what that looks like. Well, it's actually, yeah, you've got to dive deep a little bit to this one because media, it's become sensationalized. Mm -hmm. like the idea of a floating island of trash is obviously very appealing and everyone thinks, oh, well, let me just go out there with a boat and I'll clean it up and I'll be the hero of the 21st century. <laughs> but it doesn't work like that. It's actually mostly, we call it a plastic smog. It's mm. like the whole ocean is a cloud of plastic. It's on the surface, it's down deep. Some of it's microscopic, some of it's macro, some of it's fishing nets, some of it's straws. Like it's just, it's so complicated. So you can't clean up the open ocean. What you can do is stop it getting into polluting systems in the first place. So change it in your home in cities mm -hmm. you know everywhere and you can also maybe start to look at how you can clean it up coming out of rivers and systems because that's a much more cost-effective and effective way of addressing the problem I just think the impact on wildlife must be devastating it is and that's a big motivator for me um, you know I don't <laughs> if, if humans want to go out there and, and and you know shoot themselves in the foot and and drive into a brick wall and so be it but you know, the collateral damage we're having on millions of other species that they call this planet ocean home and they have done since the dawn of time. And so who are we as one species to cause such a devastating, um, cascading impact? That just grates me so, so yeah, much. absolutely. It's devastating. So tell me about your podcast. Ocean Impact Organisation has a podcast. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, so we've got the Ocean Impact podcast. We're only at uh, 49 episodes. The latest episode was with Tim Flannery, um, who was going to be actually at the, yeah. the festival this weekend, um, talking about his book, Climate Cure. But lots of stories from people who are either working in innovation for the ocean or they're inspirational characters for the ocean. But we're absolutely loving it. It's, um, you know, you obviously understand. You get a chance to sit down with people and you just walk away a bigger, brighter, broader human from all these little touch points and interactions. Yeah, so I love true. it. I love that too. And I think the, the thing I love so much is that, you know, when you meet someone in real life, you talk about, oh, what do you do? And nice weather. You don't have any time for that for the podcast. You just go straight, deep, talk about the world, how we can make it better. And then you walk away and go, yeah, like that was good. I know. <laughs> I mean, it makes you realise how blessed and fortunate you are. You, you get that opportunity yeah. because... Yeah, we can all go and have 10 interactions in the street with a bit of small talk. but Which means nothing. <laughs> yeah, how often can you go and get right into the nitty-gritty? Yeah, which I love. So never sit next to you or I at a wedding because we don't care what you do. We'll be like, what do you think about the world? <laughs> so true, so true. I think uh, yeah, a lot of my friends would, would realise that about me. Yeah, small talk is not high on the agenda. No, no. Thank you so much, Tim. That was really inspiring. And I'm, I'm going to check out your podcast and uh, hopefully keep learning about all these things. It's so important. Thanks, Danny.